for this year, we have a new theme. And uh, so last Sunday, uh, Pastor Dean has really started uh, really telling us that as a Christian, as a, a new theme of this year, we're really talking about loving God and loving people. And I think they're really related. Uh, if, uh, so one of the things I always tell uh, my young adults uh, that with the Chinese side is that uh, if you want to love people, you have to love God. Because if you love God, you will love the people. But if you love people, you might, you might not necessarily love God. And so loving God is really essential as a Christian uh, to really go through that. And last Sunday, Pastor D, uh, Dean really used uh, Matthew 22 uh, to really help us understand the great commandments uh, where Jesus was teaching that we are to love God and to love people. And so this Sunday will be a continuation of that sermon, uh, but we will be late, taking a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4 to 9. And so before we go into the message, well, we're going to pray and just really uh, pray for our pastors. You know, like there's so much going on in the uh, pandemic. And I'm sure all of you are going through uh, some sort of a difference of uh, opinions uh, with regards to what's happening right now in, in America. Uh, and we really just need to pray for unity and love one another and pray for God's sovereignty to take place and allow our nation to heal. And uh, so that uh, we're able to really uh, go back to the love and the unity and the bonding that we had uh, prior to this uh, very divisive um, uh, election uh, where many people were hurt. And so we pray that, that we're able to reconcile. And uh, so we pray for our church and for ourselves that we'll come together to bring unity, to bring love, and also to bring justice in a sense from God's perspective. So let's take a minute to pray for one another. Father God, we just pray that as we um, are getting ready for a new season for uh, the, the country that we live in, that we pray for your wisdom and your sovereignty in all things. And we continue to trust that no matter what happens, uh, that you are in control, that we continue to trust that ultimately all things will work out good for those who love you. So we just pray that we'll continue to love you and that we'll continue to trust and have faith in who you are and what you stand for. And just pray that uh, we as uh, Christians who will continue to shine at this very dark time, uh, whether it's during the pandemic or the unrest, and, and just pray that you are with us and pray that uh, you allow us to uh, be empowered to be the good testimony that you want us to be. And pray for this Sunday sermon. Uh, speak to us, God, so we will know how to love you, uh, for you deserve all the love uh, that we are able to give. So I just pray that you will speak to our hearts and comfort those who are struggling right now, uh, that we're able to uh, find rest and find peace in you. Uh, may you take control in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, uh, we are going through uh, a new series, I guess, uh, a new theme for this year, and it's about loving God and loving people. And I think it's especially challenging at this time because sometimes we, we don't see the people uh, that we, uh, we we tend to see uh, every week, and uh, now we don't see anyone. And, uh, and, 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 of course, it's always hard to love God sometimes because it seems like he's so far away. And so, you know, when last week we were talking about Matthew 22, um, there was a Pharisee who was a lawyer who came to Jesus to really ask him a very challenging question. And, uh, it, 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 and we ask this question too, you know, we sometimes ask, well, what is the point of our faith? You know, what is the ultimate teaching? You know, if we were to sum up the Bible, uh, sum up our faith, what would it be? And basically that was the question this Pharisee um, asked Jesus, you know, and, and in a way uh, he might be testing Jesus uh, in a way he really wanted to know. I think sometimes that's the dynamic that we have uh, when we have a curiosity about something. And, and so, and I, I love that it is a challenge because, you know, the Pharisees were trying to kind of trip uh, Jesus into saying things uh, and, and so that they can accuse him for 
you know, not being a, a law-abiding or a commitment-abiding uh, rabbi. And uh, so we know from last Sunday, there were about 613 uh, commandments that they have observed from the Old Testament. And when they ask this question, which one of these are the most important? What is the point of all these commitments? Uh, in, in a sense, you know, they, they're saying that, hey, maybe if he say one, then that means he alienated the other 612. And so we have 612 reasons to attack him. Uh, but Jesus was very wise, and he answered something that everyone would agree on and uh, everyone was satisfied with. And uh, that was taken from the Old Testament uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and so that's kind of like the, the passage that we will be going into this morning because, uh, you know, we're talking about loving God and Jesus using the scripture, uh, quoting from the scripture to help the Pharisees and even us today to understand what it means to love God. And so if you have your Bible, uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4 to 9. And uh, it's in the, the Old Testament, in the very beginning of the Bible. So if you can grab one, that'll be great. And as always, if you can grab a piece of paper and a, a pen, that'll be awesome, because we're going to write stuff down as we go through the sermon. And that's one of the new convictions I have, I guess, uh, in, in terms of preaching, is that I, I hope that we can walk through and write things down as we process through the Word of God. So uh, let's take a minute to kind of just grab our, our Bible uh, and a piece of paper and a pen. Uh, and let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 to 9. And if you have a Bible app, uh, you know, that's easy enough. It's very at the very beginning of your Bible app uh, in the index. And just choose Deuteronomy chapter 6. And a, a friendly reminder is kind of let's just stay there. Uh, you know, and, and if you need to, we can swap to the notes. But kind of focus on, I know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is tempting to find out what's going on in the world. Uh, let's take a break for 30 minutes and just kind of go into the Word and enjoy that. Um, so let's read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is what the word says. It says, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and, and so the very first word here uh, in, in Hebrew uh, is called Shema. And uh, so if you were to talk to any Jewish person today, and, and I'm making a bold uh, statement, if, if they're a practicing Jew, if you go up to them and you say Shema, what does it mean? Every one of them will tell you exactly what it means to them. Because Shema is a very important prayer. In fact, it is the centerpiece of daily Jewish prayers services. And then they have two. They have a morning prayer service. They have an evening prayer services. And, and so, so both services, it's, it's built around the Shema. Uh, Shema literally means to hear. And that's the first word that we see in verse 4. And, and so, so this is a very special passage. And, and so it says that, here, O Israel, and the and, and but the word here, here, uh, it means so much more than what we typically understand when we think of the word here. Uh, we think of it as listening, uh, to to kind of just say, oh, some someone's talking, so let's listen. But in the Hebrew, uh, what is interesting is this: is that they don't really have a word uh, for doing things. And what is incorporated in the word here is this: is that that when someone say Shema or here, it's really saying that you're listening. You're paying attention, you're focusing on what is being said, and you're processing it, and then you're going to go do it. And that's why in the New Testament and Old Testament, sometimes we hear this, is that those, let those who have ears, let them hear. And it's, it's almost interesting. There's never about a doing aspect of it, uh, but we do see that in James chapter 
uh, I believe chapter, well, I don't remember what chapter, but James, uh, where James was telling us, teaching us uh, that let's not be just hearers of the word, but also be doers. And then I think part of it is because as the Christian church grew, um, that there were Gentiles who did not understand that, that the hearing aspect of the, the Jewish tradition comes with processing and reflecting and ultimately doing what is being told. And so Shema here is a centerpiece prayer because it's telling the Israelites, whoever are listening, that you're about to listen to something. You're going to reflect it. You're going to focus on it, process it, and then you're going to do it. Because isn't that what listening really means? If you listen on Sundays for a sermon and you allow it to come into your ear from one side, and then as you you finish the sermon, it goes out from the other side, nothing has changed. That means that that sermon or that, that worship had really no impact in your life. To really hear a sermon means that you are listening, processing, reflecting on it, and ultimately applying that sermon in your life. And so I love this concept where the Hebrews are teaching us, Jews are teaching us that when we hear something, we need to pay attention and we need to process it. And then we need to ultimately apply that into our lives. And I hope this message this morning will help us to do that as we discuss about God, about what he has done and how we love him. We're processing all these information. Let it not stay in as a part of our knowledge base. Or not, let it not just flow out the other ear, but let it impact our lives and then allow us to make changes and do things that will reflect the teaching this morning. So let's not just listen and allow this message to really penetrate our hearts and meditate. And it also tells us that when, when there's a word here, you know, in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, uh, when the prophet says something, or even here in Moses' sense, that we are to pay attention to it because it is very important. And, and, and so for Jewish people, they take this so literally that this is now a prayer that is the centerpiece of two of their daily prayers services. And uh, so I, I think, again, we're to pay attention to this, this teaching this morning because it's a very special one. And let's listen to it. Let's hear it. Let's process it. And let's reflect. And then let's do something in accordance to the teaching. And it goes on to say this. Uh, this is the here, O Israel. And, and we know Israel is the chosen people of God. And uh, they're very special. And in fact, uh, so uh, Moses is really addressing the nation of Israel at this point. And uh, so if you know the background of Deuteronomy, it's actually one of the last books of the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Bible. And in fact, some people believe that Joshua helped uh, wrote parts of it because uh, this is really about uh, the wrapping up the wilderness. You know, they've been wandering the wilderness for about 40 years now. And, and Joshua is about to lead them into the promised land. And, and so the Israelites here is really different than the one that left Egypt. So this is the people who, uh, because that generation, you know, because they were rebellious, uh, they had unbelief, they complained, they have all these things against God. And, and even though they were experiencing God's great grace, uh, they show no appreciation. They, they have no care. They build themselves an idol. And then so eventually uh, there was this this curse, I guess, upon them that none of them will enter uh, to the promised land except Caleb and Joshua because they had faith in God. So when, when people didn't believe that God can deliver them in the, the promised land, Caleb and Joshua did. And, and so that generation had to die. So Moses here is really wrapping up his ministry time uh, to the Israelites, next generation of Israelites, who might have vague memories of what happened in Egypt and uh, who might have uh, you know, vague memories of what happened in the desert and in the, in the wilderness. 
So, so Deuteronomy really is talking about what God has done. And that's a really good premises for us when we think about loving God as well. Because to love God, Pastor Dean mentioned last time, is to first be loved by God. Because how can you love someone when you don't have that love from them? And that's a really interesting relationship uh, in First John says that we love because he first loved us. And so Moses, as he's writing Deuteronomy, he is really trying to remind the Israelites, the new Israelites, the next generation of Israelites, where they do not have a, a personal or a very um, a huge compare and contrast, you know, of, of what life is like in Egypt. And uh, so, so Moses is reminding them of what God has done in the past and what God will do in their future. And I, I think this is very applicable uh, to a lot of our uh, members, uh, a lot of us, uh, not including me, but my wife, she is uh, born, she was born in a Christian family. And, and so for her, faith is passed down. She's been hearing about God ever since she was a baby. And, and so, so this is a good reminder for all of us is that God's stories in the past, you know, God is a good guy, you know, God's done so many great things for our family or for our parents, for uh, grandparents. Uh, for me, I'm a first generation believer. So, so sometimes it's a lot easier for me to say, man, I, I see the goodness of God. I see the love of God and I want to respond to that. And, and so here again, it's like we're listening and he's addressing the, the new Israelites saying that, hey, listen, listen, like God is good, right? And the Lord, our God, he's saying that, that this Lord here, the word Lord here seems like, oh, we all know the, the name Lord, uh, but, 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 here in the Old Testament, sometimes if you flip to your Bible, you will see that there's a capitalization of the L or the entire word L-O-R-D is all in capitals. And when you see that, it actually means that in the original Bible, in the original Hebrew, uh, it's, there's actually a special term to describe the name of the Lord, the name of God that we believe in. And the reason is this, is that back in those days, almost of every nation or every tribe have their own gods and they have the, their gods have their names. And, and so Moses is really trying to tell them that we're about to go into Canaan and Canaan has a bunch of different gods. They, they worship multiple gods and there's just so many different gods. And I want you to know who our God is and, and, and his name we know today as Yahweh, but the Jews will never say that name because out of reverence, out of fear, out of respect, and not to take the Lord's name in vain, uh, they have kind of take away parts of that name so no one can pronounce it by accident and just put a special word. And, and sometimes we uh, they start to use uh, Adonai or Adon, which means Lord. And, and so they will use that word to replace so that they won't take the Lord's name in vain. And so Moses here is really telling the nation of Israel, saying that, this is our God. This, this is the name of our God. So we need to know who he is. And so that when we go into a foreign land, that we will not be mistaken other gods for our own God. And this is really interesting because sometimes in our society today, where, where there are believers, well, who so-called believers were Christians, I guess, um, and they will, they will claim that we all believe in the same God, but the God has different names. So it's okay. We respect one another. But Moses here is really teaching us that there is only one God for those who love God and those who follow God, and that is Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, when, when they used to have a different understanding of that special word. And so here's a reminder for us. Do we know who we believe in? Do we know who our God is? Do we know him in a sense that we know him by name? We know him by heart, that, that he is special to us. And it goes on to say that the Lord is 
one. And, 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 and this is a great reminder because the Lord is one. It means this is that there is no multiple God for the Israelites. There is only one God. And so if you only have one God, then when you encounter other gods or other temptation, other challenges, uh, and other people trying to teach you about some sort of a other religious experience, you will know that there's no such thing but our God. And that's also important to us today because sometimes I feel like while we, not might, we might not idol worship other gods, we believe in Jesus, but sometimes we do elevate things in our life, people in our life, even jobs or, or success in our life as an idol in our life. And I, I think that's why the Bible says this is uh, that no one can serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other. And, and this is a reminder for the Israelites. Uh, Moses was prepping them and saying that, by the way, guys, you know, God is good. He has done so many great things for the for our ancestors, for your fathers, for, for all these things. And he, he's a just God. You know, he will, you know, punish those who are not following the rule and, and all these things. And he's giving them a complete package. But he's right now reminding them, hear about this, okay? Know who your God is and, and know what you believe in because that's very crucial for your future and for my future. And it goes on to the next verse. It says this, that you shall love the Lord your God. And I find it very interesting that, that Moses here used the word, you shall love the Lord your God. And when we think of love, we often think of this really a, a feeling, a, a tangly feeling, I guess, that, that makes us feel good or warm or smooth. And uh, so uh, we, we, we always say this, you can't force people to love someone. You know, like that's that's our understanding of of love, you know, love is this feeling that that we possess when we see someone, we we um, encounter someone. Uh, but somehow Moses here is giving us the tone that he's telling us to love. Like like how do you tell someone to love? You know, it's just like you shall love. It's like a, a commend, commending us to love. And because I, I think what we have to differentiate is that the love that we speak of today is very different than the love. Um, you know, Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus said this, is that, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's so interesting because we don't see love and keeping commitment or obedience as some sort of a relationship. We, we, we feel like love is this free-flowing, uh, you know, ability, like, you know, like we, we love to go to worship and we have this feeling as we sing the worship songs and there's a connection, then we, we love God and God love us. And then so that there's a very, a sense of fulfillment, you know, that, that our feelings are just kind of, uh, there's an embrace, I guess. But, but here Moses telling us that you shall love the Lord, your God. It's, it's a commitment to love someone. And, and remember in the new Testament in John uh, 13, Jesus taught this is that, that a new commitment. I want to give you, this is a new commitment that is to love one another. Like I have loved you. And, and we were reading uh, Matthew 22 last week, where it says this, that, that, that what is the sum of all commitments? You know, what is, what is God really trying to tell us to do? What is the point of the Old Testament, basically? What is the point of the New Testament, basically? Is to love God. But how do you commit someone to love God? Because love is more than just a feeling. Because love is, is more than just words. Because we say we love people a lot of times, but we don't have to mean it almost, right? But love in the original sense it's an expression of love and affection and, and, and through emotional or verbal or 
action, and, and this is how we're supposed to do that, that love really is a choice. And I, I find that amazing for our faith. Remember Jesus teaching, love your enemy? I think if we were to go by today's standard, that's impossible because, you know, like if I, if they were my enemy, okay, if this person is my enemy, that means I don't like him. So how do I like someone that I don't like? It just doesn't make any sense. But what the Bible really teaches us is that love is not actually a decision that we can make. When we, when we love someone, it's actually a conscious choice to love someone. And it's a conscious decision, expression of, of this, this emotion or, or affection towards another person. So it is a choice. So, so we have to kind of get that through because when the Bible talks about love, it's not just this feeling that we have. It's really an action that we can take. And this is what Moses is saying now, hey, you and I, once we know how amazing God is, and now once we know who he is as a creator, as a God, that we are to love him. That's the commandment. We are to make decisions to love him. So, so he, then he's going to tell us how to do it. He's going to give us to love him with our heart, our soul, and our might. And we're going to go into that a little bit. But here again is a reminder that but when the Bible teaches us to love, it's not really saying that, by the way, only when you feel like it, you know, when you have that feeling towards someone, then you do it. But really, here's a decision that you have to make. Would you follow my teaching? Would you do what I ask you to do? Would you uh, put away your own personal feelings and sacrifice yourself to love? And it says this, that you shall love the Lord, your God. And I love that, that how Moses went from our God to your God. And sometimes this happens in a church, like when we're in corporate worship, we're in that situation. And then we just kind of nod and agreed. And, and Moses is like, hey, our God is good. And you're like, yeah, our God is good. But now I, I believe Moses really, you know, focusing on the Israelites and saying that, by the way, this God is your God, your God, you, this is your God, your faith. And, and I find that challenging sometimes for people who uh, who grew up in a Christian family because uh, they see God as a part of their family, their legacy, their life. And, and there's uh, oftentimes a lack of a personal relationship or personal experience. So sometimes when they speak of God, it's almost as if they're speaking about someone else's God and, and has really no relationship with who they are. And, and, and they know all the right things, but but deep inside, they know that that this faith is more about my parents, more about my grandparents than myself. And uh, they never really had that conversion moment for those who are first generation. And, and so I always encourage some of my uh, youth before and my, my young adults who are born, you know, who were born in a Christian family to, to really uh, reflect in your life and say, you know, how is God my God, not someone else's God, and, uh, but my own personal God, because I have a relationship, because I have an experience with him, uh, not because it's, it's from my parents, my grandparents, but really I have an encounter. And that's, that's kind of like an aha moment. And you're like, oh man, God is my God. He is good to me. He is gracious to me. He has died out for me on the cross and he has done all these things. Because I, I think honestly, without having that true experience of who God is and making him your personal God, making him your God, you can't really love God because we love because he first loved us, not our parents, not our grandparents, us, myself. So you have to experience the love of God yourself in a very personal way in order for you to respond 
and love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And it says that the Lord your God, you know, that's that's a personalized again and, and went on. So how is how are we supposed to love God? And the first one is this, to love God with all your heart. And the, the common understanding is that that heart is like, you know, what we feel, you know, like this is uh, our heart's desire tells us, you know, like we have this feeling. But again, for the Jewish people, it is more than just a feeling. So we're going back to uh, what they see and how they see the word uh, heart. And, and so what's interesting about uh, the Jewish culture is that, that there is no word for brain. And, and so they often believe the heart is this center of a person, this, this process, like think of it as a CPU, heart is the CPU, basically process and make decisions for everything that's happening in a person's life. And, and so, so heart is more than just a feeling that you and I have. It's, it's really a, a place where you process information that you think and you understand, and ultimately you make a decision. It is the center of a, a human's uh, existence. It is where you feel, where you understand, where you process, where you base, uh, make decision based on your desire. And, and so heart is more than just a feeling for the Jews, for the Israelites. It is something that is the center of who you are, how you view things and how you desire things. And it's how you make all your decisions. So it's, it's, it's going back to that, that inner man, that, that, that core of who you are. And so basically Moses is really saying this, to love God with all your heart means that, that we are to love him with all our emotion, our desire, our focus, our understanding, our decision-making, everything about us, the center of who we are, the, 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 the actual of my universe, the center of my universe is God. That's how we're supposed to love him, to make him the center of our universe. All our decisions, all our thinking, all our feelings, all surround God now. And, and you might say, well, what does that even mean? And, and, and so I want to ask you to kind of reflect on it, because remember, we're hearing the teaching, and we want to reflect on it, and then we want to act on it. It's actually not a very crazy feeling, uh, a, a teaching. Um, I remember uh, we, Kate and I, we're going to uh, uh, celebrate our 20 years together. You know, we, uh, this, uh, this uh, later this year at 20 years, you know, with her. And I still remember when we first started dating, this is kind of crazy. Like, like uh, we will go out, you know, we were students and then uh, I, we work part-time and things like that. Um, and, and so we will go out to a restaurant, right. And, and so, um, and we will all, you know, we will, look at the menu, of course, like, and you order what you want to eat. And I always know what I want to eat. And I, I, I think I'm a pretty good uh, decision maker when it comes to food. I do love to eat. And then, so I'll pick something I feel like, man, this is delicious. This is the food that I am going to enjoy. Everyone's going to enjoy this because I'm amazing at picking food, right? So I'm like, this is the food. So we're going to eat this. I mean, I'm going to eat this. And I'll be like, hey, Kate, you want to try this or that? And then I'll make recommendations. And, and of course, my wife, she's an independent woman and she knows what she wants. So she will pick what she wants. And here's the crazy thing. I will look at what she picked. And I'm like, no, she's not going to like it. But then I won't say anything. Right. And, and so 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 I, she will pick her food and I'll pick my food. And as we start eating, of course, we prayed. And, and then so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll eat. And then uh, we often share, you know, how it is when you're dating, when you're in love, then you're like, my food is your food, your food is my food. And then so, you know, we'll share food. And, and this always happened, you know, like, like she will try my food. Not always, most of the time it happens. Uh, she will try my food. And she's like, man, that's really good. 
And then when I when I hear that she liked my food, you know what happens? I will say something crazy. I'll say, you know what? I like your food, which I don't. Right? I did not like that food. And I'll say, I like your food. Let's swap. You know, why don't you have my food? Thank you for giving me your food. And why don't you enjoy my food? In a war, sometimes I'll be like, you know, I'm not hungry. Why don't you just have my food? Uh, you know, just uh, you know, just eat it. I, I just had a big breakfast or whatever it is. And in in the reason I made those decisions of really giving up what I want, because at that time Kate was really the center of my universe. I, I love her to extend that that I'm willing to say every decision, every desire, everything that I am, I have, I will make it around her. And, and sometimes we do that with our kids, you know, like our kids are our center of the universe. And, and so here's the thing. God is saying that, that if you truly want to love God with all your heart, Moses is teaching us that, that you need to make God the center of your universe, the center of your being. And, and, and some of us might say that's a really, really impossible task, but we've done it. We are doing it right now with our kids, with our spouse, with, with the things that we love. We, we sometimes we just kind of center our love around that thing that we love. And Moses is telling us, by the way, that thing in the center of your universe, for your heart, that should be God. And this is where we want to ask you to kind of get your pen and paper out. And I want you to write down right now, what is at the center of your universe? Because that is something that you and I need to pray to remove that and move God in there. Yeah, I recall the story of Abraham. You know, he loved to have a son and God made a promise that, that everyone will be blessed through his son. And, and yet God asked Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Because I think the same concept is, is true is that, that when we say we love God, when we, when we experience the greatness of God, we have to make a decision in saying that who is in the center of our universe? having going through all the blessing, the abundance of God, who is really at the center of our universe? And, and here is Moses saying that, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Make him the center of your, your entire being. That's, that's how you make decisions from now on, that, that everything is about God and he's at the center of who you are, all your decisions, that you are willing to do things for him that you will not do for anyone else. And it goes on, it says that that's the first way. And it says that the next one is to love God with all your soul. And, and this word soul uh, appeared in the, the Old Testament about 750 times, you know, so, so uh, but it's a very different thing of what we understand. Uh, sometimes there's a translation, you know, uh, that, that will tell us that, that the word here, the, the word soul here uh, can literally means throat, you know, like where you breathe and you drink, you know, and, and so, so, it is a representation of life or we're living. So when, when this word soul is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's really talking about a person's uh, uh, life uh, or a person's uh, life, ex, ex, um, um, life presence. So, so think of it this way, you know, like if we uh, need to drink and eat to live, this is kind of like the essential part of who we are. Like this is the existence of who we are. If we cannot drink, we cannot eat, and therefore there is no life kind of thing. So, so that's kind of like understanding of so in, in Moses, again, here he's teaching us is that to love the Lord your God with all your soul. It, it, what is really saying is just that we are to devote our physical existence, our being, 
to love God. And what that means is this, is that, that your life is really about God. The, the purpose of your existence, the reason of your existence is to love God. That's what Moses is teaching, that, that you live to love God. And, and that's so crazy because we're saying like, no, no, no. We live to, to achieve things, right? We have purpose. We have pursuit. We have enjoyment. And, and so, so how, how do we reconcile that, that to love God as the reason of our existence? And again, that's not a hard thing to understand because... You know, what we see uh, when uh, John Calvin wrote the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism, he was talking about what is the chief purpose of men. And he says this is to, to really enjoy God and to glorify God. And so what we're really thinking here is that our purpose in this life, our existence in this life is really to love God. And what we need to do is taking the purpose that God has given us. Giving the, the, you know, taking the, the gifts, the talents, the, the pursuit, the enjoyment, and link it to God. So everything that we do, the, the very fact of our existence, that, that every breath that we take somehow will now relate to God. And so if you don't know why you do things in your life right now, now is a good time. Write down what is it that God has called you to do. Like there's a burden in your heart right now. Like you're like, I feel like God has called me to use my gift uh, to, to do this or to, to bless or to, uh, to be a great engineer or whatever it is. And now you take that and say, well, to love God is to take that purpose, to take that gift or to take that calling, whatever it is you want to call it, and then you add for God, for the love of God. So, so take that purpose, you know, whatever it is, you, you say, I think God has called me to be an excellent engineer so that I can be in my field to use my gifts to love him, to, to, to really glorify, glorify him in my workplace, in my family, in my home, in my church, and whatever it is that God has called you to do, because now that is the purpose of my existence, to love him, to, to uh, exalt him in everything that I do. So it's not only about this desire for him to make a decision to love him in a sense that he's the center of your universe, but really that, that even your very being is about him now, that you live for him. You live for Christ. And that makes so much sense for Christians too, doesn't it? In, in Galatians 2.20, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ in me. It means that our life is really not ours anymore. Our life is not to pursue what we want anymore, what we want to enjoy, what we want to accomplish, what we want to feel. It's really about God. This new life, the, the old has gone, the new has come. This is really about loving God with all your soul, that, that your very existence as the day you believe in Christ is no longer about you, but about him. That's how we love God with all our soul, to really make it about him. And so every, uh, everything that we stand for, everything, every breath that we take is really about him. So, so take that purpose and pray that God will show you how to connect his God-given purpose and his God-given uh, giftings and, and, and talents and re, uh, resources and link it to loving him. And, and to do that as an exercise, uh, you know, to, to really understand how to love God. And lastly, it says this, that, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your might. 
And, and this word might here occurred in the Old Testament for about 300 times. Uh, it's really not a word by itself. You know, uh, oftentimes it's really relating to, um, you know, other words. It, it intensifies a word. It literally means much or much more. And so when a place with another word, it says that, that this is creating this idea, uh, there's an emphasis or abundance or extras or, uh, you know, like double portion in a sense, like this thing times two or times a hundred, whatever it is, right? So, so this is the word might. So sometimes people will look at it and say, well, because it intensifies or adds to it or uh, in value or whatever it is. So it means to, to have this strength but a lot of times it's also to represent or translated to the word abundance or, or wealth or resources, you know, meaning that you will have more. And so Moses here is really taking that word and saying that you shall love the Lord your God with much, with all your much. It means that, that whatever God has given you, the resources, the abundance that you have, you are to take those, right, as opportunities to love him as sacrifices that you can offer to love God. That means everything that we have is an opportunity for us to love God. That, that's what Moses is saying that, that, yes, God is great. God loves you. God has done so much to you. And to respond in kind is that you are to take every ounce of what you have, all the abundance, all the resources, all the wealth, all the strength, all the power, and use that to love God. And, and, and you might say, again, that's so crazy. Why would God ask to do that? But think of the Bible again, of what God has done for us. While we were still enemies, you know, God sent his son to die on the cross for us, to give us a chance of redemption, not that he withhold nothing from us because he is trying to show us, demonstrate to us that when you love someone, there is no holding back that you will use every possible resources to really love the person, to reconcile that relationship, to, to really have a presence. And, and so I want you to ask yourself this morning that, that out of the abundance of, of God's gifts in your life, whether it's your time, whether it's, it is your giftings or your resources, uh, you know, have you really loved God in that sense? And, and this is the scary part, you know, like I work with young adults, I work with, uh, you know, adults and even, and I've, what I've noticed a lot of times is that, that we as a generation, you know, the younger generation, we tend to shy away from really giving faithfully to God. And in fact, what I observe in a lot of churches, not just our church, but a lot of churches, maybe not our church, I actually don't know our finances that well, uh, is that the older generation are actually the backbone of a church because they are willing to sacrifice and give. And even though they might not have much, uh, they are faithful in their giving because that's how they respond to the love of God. But what I see in the younger generation is that we have so much going on in our lives that, that we, we often will give God what is left from our expenses. Whereas the older generation, uh, perhaps their experience is different, that they will dedicate that portion to God first, and then they make do with what is left over. And I think that there's a concept here in teaching the next generation, by the way, guys, God has given you everything. So therefore make him a priority, make loving him and sacrificing for him, make giving to him a priority in your life because he comes first. And then, I, and I think this is a, a reminder for all of us, you know, are there aspects of our life where we're holding back? 
because all your mind means that every opportunity, everything that you have, every resource, every strength, every ounce of time, whatever it is, you, you, you give to God and you hold nothing back and no reservation. So, so, so write things down. Like what are some areas of your life that you are reserving for yourself, for your family, for whatever reason? It could be, um, you know, quality time, you know, like because you value time a lot. Maybe that's something that you need to uh, offer to God. Uh, maybe it is money, you know, maybe uh, it is, uh, you know, your pride, you know, maybe there's some sort of accomplishment that you're pursuing after. And you just, so there are many things that we have to kind of go through and, and just say, man, how do we write these things down and offer to God so that we can honor him with what he has given us? And of course, it goes on. It says that, and, and these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. And, and Moses, again, is placing an emphasis. Like, guys, don't just listen to this, right? Make sure that you understand this. Make sure that you keep it in your heart, in the center of your universe, in the center, the core of who you are. Understand this. God is your God. God is a good God. And, and love him with all your uh, mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all these things. And then do that. That's what you're supposed to do. And it goes on to say that, that you, not only you should keep it, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And that's what this passage, sometimes people use it as a, a parenting lesson, but, but it's really saying that, that we need to teach our next generation about who God is and how to love God. Because sometimes as generations change, you know, we, we tend to lose focus on our faith. You know, uh, it, it's interesting that, that, you know, after a few generations, the faith, uh, most of the faith might be, a different watered out version of faith where it might be a, a my father's faith, my grandfather's faith, my, but not a personal faith. This is that, that you shall teach them diligently and, and talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lay down, when you rise. So every, and like, like talk about it, you know, like, like think about it, talk about it. Cause sometimes we are visual and, and we, we need to learn and we to do this. And it says that you should bind them as a sign on your hand and you should, uh, they should be your frontlets uh, between your eyes. And, and lastly, it says this, uh, this is crazy. Is that you should write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically what Moses is saying that remind yourselves because you know what? We are forgetful people. We tend to forget the goodness of God and we tend to not remember how much God loved us. We, we, we know it, but we forget about it because if we truly know God's love, if we truly are experiencing God's love, then we will respond in love because we love because God first loved us. And so this is an exercise I do with uh, a lot of my uh, young adults. And I, I tell them that, hey, by the way, when, when you share something, I want you to share something about God, okay, has done in your life in the past 30 days. Because oftentimes when we talk about testimonies or how real God is in our life, we talk about like 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago when we first believed. And I'm like, man, is, is God still working today? Because I, I think he is. If he is, then why is it that we don't have stories today? And sometimes it's one because we really have no relationship with him. So there is nothing to talk about. And therefore you can't love God because you don't have any love. You have not experienced love. Then you can't love him back. And two is this, is that we take God for granted and we don't think about the things he's done. So it's a good exercise for us to kind of say, how has God loved me in the past 30 days? Because when you think about that, then you are able to respond because you are now loved, then you are able to love. 
So I, I just encourage you as a last thing, you know, if you can write down how you have experienced God's love in the past 30 days. And I hope that will encourage you to say, I will respond because God is so gracious. God is so loving that I will now love him with all my heart, all my soul and all my might, my strength. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for loving us first and, and we don't deserve your love none of us do and, and and yet you are willing to love us first and and even when we were in sin even when we are your enemies because we are unrighteous immoral and just bad people all around but you loved us you extend that hand of love and and so we thank you for that love and we thank you for allowing us to become now not the enemies of god but the sons and daughters of god so i pray that we will continue to reconcile to to repent and to change so that we will submit to you and to view your love as a driving force of why we need to love you and to reserve nothing for from you and just really just we hold nothing and just say god we want to love you as the center of our universe and we want to love you as the the reason of our existence and we want to love you in every possible way in every possible opportunity we want to love you so father god help us to do that and help us to teach this to our kids and remind ourselves all the time of your goodness and your teaching so that we know to love you more and we thank you and we pray this in jesus name amen